chilling new original docuseries on Paramount Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. To the can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control all desire. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Eric Scopel is with me as always. Uh, before we dive into today's show, and boy, do we have a good one for you. Let me remind you that if you are a VIP subscriber to DuckTerritory.com, you have now the ability to go in and activate for free for the lifetime of your subscription with us uh, another subscription to CBS All Access, their streaming platform, which features over 10,000 shows, has movies, it has live sports, which includes uh, NFL football, as well as some college football on there as well. Uh, it comes with a $99 value, just under 100 bucks, one cent off from being a $100 value. Uh, that is included in your subscription with us. Uh, if you're on the fence of subscribing to us, hey, here's a Christmas idea because we're in that realm now. Uh, buy a membership for yourself with us at DuckTerritory.com and you can give your wife or your, if maybe you are the wife, and you can give your husband the membership to CBS All Access uh, as a gift. And they don't have to know that you also got a gift as, as well, getting a membership to, to DuckTerritory.com. Uh, you can join us for a seven-day free trial. Your membership at, with us costs less than per month total of what it would cost to subscribe to CBS All Access. That's so incredible value there. Uh, you you might want to check it out. I will highly suggest that. Now, uh, Eric, it's a bye week for football. Uh, it's also opening week for college basketball and for this podcast, we are going to have the man in charge of the women's basketball program, and who's also the number one team in the country, uh, head coach Kelly Graves on the show. Yeah, exciting, and, and thanks to Kelly for taking the time. He's uh, Matt and I have been talking off air. He's got to be one of the most media-friendly uh, coaches you'll find, regardless of sport, uh, in the country. Just a great guy, and, and I'm excited to for you guys all to, to catch up on kind of what's the going on with this program, because obviously if, if you follow it at all, you're, you're aware that they're really, really, really good. So an awesome opportunity to check them out on Saturday. Um, they're hosting the women's national team, which is honestly just kind of crazy. Like when you see that come across, uh, you, the I guess the press release come through, you're kind of going like, holy crap, that's <laughs> that's incredible. I mean, this is, you're talking about playing the best players in the world. So it's literally going to be the number one ranked women's college basketball team against the top ranked or not, they're not even really ranked, but just the best collection of women's basketball talent uh, facing off at Matthew Knight Arena. So if you're a basketball fan, uh, no better opportunity than Saturday's game to A, get an opportunity to see this new Oregon women's basketball team, like we said, ranked top uh, in the country, but also just to see really, really high quality basketball being played. Uh, if you're in the Eugene area or in the Portland area, again, strongly advise you to, to come check this out. Uh, it's going to be an awesome, awesome opportunity uh, to get this Season started, even though the game obviously doesn't count in the win or loss column, um, just a great opportunity to kind of show off what, what Oregon has on their team and also what the country has, uh, you know, obviously next year's Olympics team more than likely. So, uh, yeah, it's, cool, uh, cool opportunity. It, it's a wild deal because, like you said, you've got the sport's best players and the reality is probably the world's best players because here in America, we're awesome, right? And we're... <laughs> <laughs> and so you've got the best players uh, for our national team uh, playing against the number one ranked team in the college women's basketball landscape, which also features, uh, according to ESPN at least, the number one player in college basketball in Sabrina Ionescu. Uh, you've got the number five player in the country uh, for this season, Ruthie Hebert. And then, oh, by the way, uh, you also have uh, Satu Sabali, who is ranked as the eighth best player in in college basketball this season at the division one level. Uh, so it's not, it's not going to be like Oregon's going to go into this game and, and just can be completely outmatched. I mean, I would be surprised if they won, but at the same time, like, you know, Oregon's got elite competition too. So you're going to see, you know, the stars of today kind of fare off against the stars of tomorrow, potentially. 
And, and it's worth mentioning, this is not the first exhibition game this national team has played. And, and Stanford, earlier in the week, was actually somewhat competitive. It was, I think it was a 15-point game. Uh, women's national team won over Stanford down at uh, down in California. So, And then I think they played Oregon State earlier this week, too. That game was a little bit more lopsided. But I think it was only a five-point game at the half. So it, it, it could be a game where it's pretty competitive for a while, I'm sure. Uh, and Coach Graves said this at Wednesday's media availability, that he expects to get the you know the United States team best shot just because Oregon is ranked number one. There's going to be, gosh, could be close to ten thousand fans in attendance. They'll want to put on a, a show, and I think they're also kind of getting to closer to full strength. Kelsey Plum, you might recognize that name if you followed the conference. She played at Washington a couple of years ago and was the Pac-12 Player of the Year and set some scoring records. She's now uh, with the team again after I think she missed a period of uh, or she missed the first couple of games. So it's going to be an awesome opportunity again to, to check that out and in general. The women's season is, is starting really, really quickly here, and it's, I think, going to be really, really fun. And we'll get more from Coach Graves on the, on the podcast here, but it's a mix of a lot of the same players who were on last year's Final Four team, obviously four or five starters back with Ionescu, with Sabali, with Foley and Hebert, and then also some international players they brought in. And don't forget Mignon Moore, the USC transfer, who uh, will, will more than likely be also in that starting lineup. So it, it's going to be a really fun team to see develop this year. Some new faces, obviously a lot of familiar faces. And anytime you get a player like Sabrina Ionescu playing for your team, uh, it's going to be a, a fun season. Uh, undoubtedly, the top player in the entire sport right now from the collegiate level. So, uh, again, a lot to be excited about right now. And, and I'm just excited to pick Coach Graves' brain because he is one of the, again, one of the more fun and more animated coaches you'll, you'll get to deal with uh, doing this job. Looking at, at this season as a whole for the women's basketball program, they kick off officially like counting games next Tuesday, right? Uh, actually, it's on Monday. At, Monday. Uh, at 3 p.m. Yeah, it, it'll be. Oh, that's uh, right. It's a, it's, a, it's a Memorial Day game, like 3 o'clock, right? Yep, 3 o'clock. Uh, they're playing, I believe it's Northeastern. I'm sorry, I'm pulling the schedule up. Yep, Northeastern on Monday at 3 p.m. Uh, I assume there'll be a lot of fans of that game. You can also check it out on tv with the oregon they do their own live stream for the first handful of games it's a busy week next week they play on monday wednesday and then saturday uh northeastern utah state texas southern and then the following sunday so they have about eight days off after they play texas southern on saturday they go to syracuse to play the orange which is a team that was in the ncaa tournament last year a team that oregon fans are probably fairly familiar with they also played them a year ago too so that's going to be kind of their big first test and then from there they head off to the Virgin Islands to play uh, in, in the Paradise Jam. And then that's where things kind of get interesting because on the back end of that, they'll play uh, on November Louisville. 30th. They'll be playing Louisville. So there, there's, you're going to have to be ready and, and kind of battle-tested early on uh, because it is going to be – it's a tough schedule. They, they set themselves up with some, some tough games, including – it won't be for a bit here, but they do play UConn uh, on February 3rd uh, in stores, and that's going to be one of those all-time just like – Probably, arguably, the best non-conference game Oregon will play not at home uh, in a very, very long time. Obviously, they hosted some, some big games the last couple of years, but that's going to be a huge one for sure. All right, let's now welcome in the head coach of the number one ranked women's basketball program, head coach Kelly Graves. Kelly, thanks for coming on the show. We, we really appreciate your time. Well, my pleasure. Glad to be with you. All right, Coach, let's start with Saturday's exhibition with the women's national team. Obviously, an incredible opportunity for, for your players and, and for really just kind of the area to, to host the best team in the world. When did you first start hearing about this possibility and, and kind of what was your initial reaction to it? Oh, uh, it's probably been, I don't know, six or eight months. Um, and, you know, obviously it was an easy yes. Uh, you know, I've, I've coached with USA Basketball uh, a couple of years and uh, and gotten to know you know that uh, their leadership uh, very well, and so when Carol Callen called and asked, uh, you know, if we would be interested, it was a, a no-brainer as far as I'm concerned. Now, as it gets closer, you know, you go, wow, what was I thinking? <laughs> but at the time, it was a no-brainer, and I think it's going to be just a great experience for our players and fans. You know, and, and Sabrina said on on Wednesday she'd be a little starstruck of playing against some of these players like Diane Taurasi and Sue Bird and just some of these legendary players. I think for so many of the players, they're, they're facing, you know, talent that they've idolized growing up. Is this kind of one of the perks you, you see of kind of having this program elevated? And just, I mean, this is going to be a game, I assume, for, for pretty much everyone involved on your side. It's going to be one they'll remember probably for the rest of their lives. 
Well, no question about it. And, you know, a couple of things there in that question. I think, uh, number one, um, I think it's neat now that, that, that young girls, as they grow up, have somebody to look up to and, and idolize like boys have had for years in the NBA. And I think, you know, people forget the WNBA is still, you know, uh, barely over a generation old. Right. So, you know, that hasn't always been the case. I think, number two, just the opportunity to play against, like you said, you mentioned Sue Bird, Diana Taurasi, you know, arguably considered two of the best all players all time in, in, in women's basketball history, uh, you know, Hall of Famers. Simone Augustus, she's a Hall of Famer. Sylvia Fowles, a Hall of Famer. I mean, these are uh, household names and uh, very decorated players, both internationally and, uh, and in the WNBA. I don't know how many gold medals Sue and Diana have won, at least three each. And same with Sylvia and Simone. So, you know, those are uh, those are iconic names. And then you sprinkle in some of the, the newcomers to the, you know, to the national team scene, like a Skylar Diggins and an Asia Wilson, you know, but those, that's the next generation of, of great players. So, yeah, this is a pretty neat opportunity for, you know, not just the American players, but I think, you know, our international players know those names and look up to them as well. I, I, I'm wondering, going back to your playing days when you were at New Mexico, do, do you ever remember sharing a court with somebody and going, like, I just can't believe I'm out here with them? Did you have those kind of moments that you can reflect on? No, they were saying that about me. <laughs> <laughs> and you would have laughed even more if you'd have seen my game. <laughs> uh, no, I, I guess, you know, the one that I look back on now is Gary Payton. But at the yeah. time, he was just Gary Payton, a little snot-nosed freshman. You know, so I didn't, uh, you know, you didn't know who he was other than the fact he was a really good player. Scott Skiles, I had to guard against Sean Elliott, Steve Kerr, you know, those guys. But at the time when you're in it and they're just college players, it's not like it is today where, you know, you know, these players coming out of high school, they all have mixtapes and entourages and, you know, huge names back then, you know, ESPN was barely five or six years old. So, you know, it just wasn't as big a deal. But looking back now, I go, wow, I played against some pretty good players. <laughs> Kelly, when, when you showed up, obviously you probably had confidence that you could turn this program in, into a winning machine. But year two, you made the WNIT semifinals. Year three, you made the tournament and then the Elite Eight. Year five, you've made the Final Four. And now as you go into year six at Oregon, it's the number one team in the country for the first time ever. Are you ever just kind of – not necessarily surprised at, at at you've reached this level, but just seeing how far the program has come, how rewarding is that? Because not only are you winning, but you've developed a following in which when you showed up, there weren't many people coming to games. And now, like you said, you have 10,000 people expected a lot of your games. You've got ESPN, you know, putting Sabrina's name on the ticker. Like she's just a regular athlete and it's a really big time deal now. And how far, are, are you just impressed with just how quickly this has gone from a team that's competing to now a team that's one of the elite and has a huge following behind it? Well, it's remarkable. I mean, it, it truly has been a, a, an amazing, you know, five now going on six years. It just doesn't happen very often that, that, a, that a program can rise, you know, to this level uh, that the way we have as quickly as we have, it just, you know, especially in these power conferences, you know, there's a lot of really amazing programs in this conference with Hall of Fame coaches and future Hall of Fame coaches. So, uh, yeah, it, it, it has been a remarkable journey. When you're part of it, though, and in it day-to-day like we are, you don't really think of it in that way. You think of what's next and, you know, and what do we have to do today and, you know, how are we going to help sustain this and even get it better. So you're not really sitting back and reflecting on on that journey unfortunately you know because i i'm sure someday I, I will be able to do that but uh you know i'm glad you mentioned that that second year you guys i think that was an important year for us and people i, I think it's kind of a forgotten team you know the first year was uh you know not a great year right. but but you know i thought our players competed but that second year we just kind of put together a roster uh knowing that we were going to have a huge class that next year, which ended up being Sabrina and Ruthie, you know, we'd put all our attention into building that, you know, making that the, the class that would define the program. But that second year, man, that, 
that was one of my favorite teams to coach. And we got to, you know, I think we had an outside chance of getting to the NCAA tournament, but the, the week before uh, our final weekend, Jillian Aileen tears her ACL, and, and then Jordan Loetta tears her ACL, and, man, we were depleted. Uh, but somehow, man, we, we put it together and yeah. made a nice NIT run. And that was a lot of fun. We had some memorable, memorable times that that year. But uh, yeah, you guys, it's it's uh, it's really incredible um, how this uh, you know how this journey has has uh, built up to you know arguably the the top program in the country. And with all the success, has come a ton of national media attention. I saw that Slam was here recently and did a, a feature on on Sabrina. And as someone that subscribed to Slam, you know, I, I can tell you that female athletes were not in that magazine all that often and so it's it's cool barriers are being broken uh by multiple players on your team i'm just curious though but like when i watch your team from afar i i'm always impressed with how they've been able to manage the attention and manage the success because it's it's reality they're they're 18 to 22 year olds and when you're told that you're great consistently that's going to get to your head and for whatever reason your team seems to from an outsider's perspective deflect that and doesn't let that seep into their day-to-day operations. I'm just curious, just do you take that into account of how does a recruit, how does an athlete that you're interested in recruiting handle success, handle adversity? Uh, how, you know, how has your team been able to to handle all this success and, and the attention that comes with it and still keep that, that mindset of that they haven't arrived? Well, I think it comes from a bunch of different areas. Number one, yes, we do recruit the kind of players that are our team first players. Uh, you know, when I talk to a recruit and they talk to me about how many touches they're going to get or how many minutes I'm going to play as a freshman, et cetera, et cetera, we move on. That you know, those those players just aren't going to work here. Um, so I think that really helps. I think we get the kind that are just grounded and team first kids. Uh, I think secondly, you know, I have a I have a way of keeping them humble. You know, I'll. I'll, I'll call them on, you know, when I see them feeling too good about themselves or whatever, I'll call them on that and try to keep them grounded. But thirdly, I think it comes from our leadership. Um, you know, Sab- Sabrina, Ruthie, you know, um, Satu, those, those kids are really humble superstars. They, they truly are. I think, you know, you, you see Sabrina, you see that persona she has, but, but behind what you see on the court, is a really genuine person, you know, somebody who's very grounded, very spiritual, uh, very uh, okay with themselves, with herself. And same with Ruthie. I mean, Ruthie's just never had a bad day in her life. You know, she's just smiling, happy-go-lucky kind of kid. So I know they know that the attention is out there and, and what's being said. I, You know, in this day and age, it's hard to ignore that, even though we want our players to ignore all that external noise. Uh, but the reality is I don't think it's really it, – it does affect them. I, I think they've been able to compartmentalize. And people always ask me, well, you know, how, how is it being ranked number one? Is it do you feel pressured? Are your players – you know, is that going to be too tough for them? I said, well, you know, last year we were preseason ranked number three. And, yeah, there's not a whole lot of difference between those two. And I, I thought our players handled those uh, expectations and that pressure, you know, just fine. So it, it comes from our – you know, and our younger players, they, they see how Sabrina and Ruthie and Satu and Aaron, how they handle this kind of success and attention, and, and they feed off it and, and act accordingly. So it, we're, we're really fortunate to have just team first and very grounded players who just keep their heads down and continue to work each and every day and love each other. And it sounds like a cliche, but it it really is. If you hang around our team, you you would see it and go, "Wow, this is a unique group." Yeah, I I would I would agree from an outsider's perspective. They just feel unique. And one one question I have about just the sport in general for for college athletics, um, I'm curious. Football a couple of years ago passed a, a rule that allows them to to play a student athlete in four games and still preserve a red shirt and. I know at basketball, the frequency of redshirting isn't as nearly as common as in football, but would you like to see something like that where you could play a, a, a girl for eight or nine games in non-conference or whenever you wanted during the season and still preserve that ability to, to redshirt them uh, at some point that their freshman year or their sophomore year, what have you? Yeah, actually, I, I think it would be a good rule. I don't know if nine or ten games, but uh, 
you know, definitely a few. Um, I think right now, I think they can play up to like 33% of the games. And if they do get hurt, they would get that right. year back. Uh, but you're you're talking about not even if they're hurt. Yeah, yeah. Football the allows to play a little bit. Yeah, football allows yeah. a guy to healthier. I would or not. be open to that. Yeah, I would be open to that. You know, regardless of injury or not. Yeah, maybe not a third of the season, but um, but definitely a good number of games. Yeah, because you never know how somebody's going to react. You know, it's funny. I tell people this story all the time. I don't know if it shows how dumb we are as a staff or how lucky we got. You know, we, we talked. We had in that 2016 class, Ruthie Ebert, Lydia Giomi, Mallory McGuire, Sierra Camposano. We had four post players that committed and signed that same year. And we right. offered uh, a red shirt to any of the four that wanted to take it, wow. including Ruthie. And uh, wow. thank goodness she said, no, I, I, I want to play uh, this year. And... Uh, she ended up having a, a an all Pac-12 season, so you know, yeah. I think by letting them play a little bit, you can kind of see okay, are they going to fit in this rotation or what? And then and then after that, you can make a decision because without playing games, they all think, well, I'm going to play, right. I'm going to play, I'm going to play. Right. Well, after six or eight games, and they're maybe playing four or five minutes ago, this is probably where you're going to be slotted. Then, yeah, maybe. You know, Maybe it could work in the other direction, too, of you'd like to redshirt a player, but at the same time they want to play, and you could give them a trial run for four or five games. And like you said, they realize Exactly. Yeah, anything, you guys, that has to do with, uh, you know, bettering the student-athlete experience, I'm for. I'm for. And um, and I, I think the redshirt's not used enough, um, you know, especially with, with women where there's not life-changing money waiting for them at the end of their career, you know, college careers in terms of professional basketball money. You know, I think the extra year of education that they can get, I, I don't understand why more don't want to, to redshirt because, um, you know, that's an extra year of schooling for them. They can get a master's degree in five years now, you know, especially with the way the, a lot of them go to summer school. Right, right. To me, it makes sense that they'd want to redshirt and get an extra year of school. Coach, you've said a few times in, in media that you've had just an influx of people coming up to you and recognizing you, wanting to talk about the team or, or telling you what section their season tickets are in. Uh, take me back a few years when you first got here. How frequent was it back then? And maybe compare and contrast to, to what it is now. And do you have maybe a, a favorite encounter you want to share where, where somebody bumped into you and said something kind of interesting? Oh, well, no, I, I know that it, it, when I first got here, you guys, it was the, the true blue uh, fans. They were the only ones that really were coming at that point. And, you know, let's face it, some roommates of our players and parents and, and like I commented yesterday, made a joke, you know, just some people who stumbled in the arena because they saw the lights were on. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the, the, uh, the owner of the Wild Duck, I guess I can use that, the owner of the Wild Duck across the street, he told me that my first year or two here, they wouldn't even know if there was a women's game going. That's how little that place, uh, you know, drew business on on a game night for us. He goes, we had no idea some nights that you actually had a game. Well, now you you go there if you if you're not there two hours before trying to get a table, you're not going to get one. That place is packed before and after games. So I think we've helped the local economy, you guys. <laughs> you know. Um, but yeah, it's it's uh, it's incredible how how we've grown it, and and I think part of it is you know I think we're very accessible. Uh, we we go out and sign autographs after every game, not just selected games. Every game, we want our players out there and and mixing in with the with the you know the fans, and and I go and speak anywhere I can and and have for years. And I I remember these people who call me and complain, man, I I got season tickets, but I'm in the upper level. I said I told you three years ago. Get your tickets now. Everywhere I went, I said, you guys mark my words, get your season tickets now. And they, some of them took my advice and some didn't. And those that didn't are upstairs. Well, I, I can attest to that because you know? I was in a room with uh, kids sports basketball coaches and you showed up to talk about coaching youth and you said that. And I can attest that that is a true statement. Oh, every chamber of commerce meeting or Lions Club or Oregon Club, I, I said the same thing. 
uh, especially when Ruthie and those guys got here as freshmen. I said, get them now because it'll be tough later, and uh, and that's coming to fruition. But no, it's 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 uh, it's really overwhelming to to you know see the the fan support that we get, and we're hoping to average at least ten thousand uh, per night this year. With uh, certainly, uh, I think a few sellouts that we have in our, um, you know, in our future. And just real quick, that that's every game, right? That's not just conference. I think that needs to be, you know, reminded yeah, we, to the average we, fan we, that we would, yeah, we would like to average ten thousand, you know, even for non-conference. But you know, we're at seven thousand season tickets right yeah, now, that's and awesome, and um, you know, awesome. and and we're we're drawn between seven and a thousand students per game 700 to a thousand so you're looking at roughly eight thousand per night that they would announce and then you know if you do a, some promotional events for for non-league games et cetera, et cetera, you know oregon state stanford ucl those games are going to take care of themselves yeah. you know you don't really need to promote those but you know some of the preseason ones are, are the ones sometimes you got to be a little creative and get some more butts in the seats Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. Let's talk a bit about recruiting, even though we can't identify names. Uh, sure. <laughs> right now. Next week, week we will be. I know. I was going to yeah. say, if, in a week, we will be able to. You'll be able to actually talk about some of these really exciting commitments, and, and the next week they'll become signees, and, and the whole landscape changes. But uh, not naming names. What, what, what's kind of been the impact? I don't want to just single out Sabrina, but just of the just of this program taking the step, being a Final Four team, being number one in the country. How is how have things changed on the recruiting trail for you guys when you go into the home of a player, or have they really? Oh, they have. It, it's it hasn't changed just this year. I think it started a couple of years ago when we made our first Elite Eight run, um, and and then built from there. I think a few things going for us. Number one, Oregon's a hot brand. It's a it's an awesome university. Everybody knows it. It's hip. It's it's you know fresh. And, and they like that. I think, uh, obviously, our, our players help. You know, Sabrina's uh, early on when, when I was calling kids and, and talking, they, you know, three out of every four would say, you know, my favorite player is Sabrina. You know, that she's the one I watch. And, and so certainly that helped. I think uh, the Nike relationship helps us with the recruiting, especially since the Nike uh, uh, circuit, high school circuit, is the, the best in, uh, you know, best in the country. And you have so many players that are, you know, that love that brand. And then I think uh, you guys, and perhaps the most important is we play a fun style. Right. Um, you know, we're the most efficient. We're the best offensive team in the country. Uh, we sh- we're the best shooting team in the country. And statistics all back that up. I'm not just saying that as a coach. Um, you know, we take care of the basketball. We share the basketball. It's a pro style of play. And, um, and let's face it, there's some ugly women's basketball out there. You know, there just is. And uh, we don't micromanage every possession. Uh, we let our kids grow and make mistakes and play and, and uh, without looking to the sideline all the time that, okay, what am I going to do now this play? Um, and I think that, that plays well to, uh, to not just recruits but to their coaches who, who watch us play. And, um, and we have star power, and that always helps. And now with the fan support, I mean, you know, uh, one of our games is, has become an event, and, and our recruits see that because a lot of our games now are on, on TV. So uh, so they see it. They see what's happening, and it's made, uh, made this an easy sell in terms of recruiting. You look at the roster, there's a lot of international flavor, and there has been basically since you've gotten here. I, I wonder, is it more difficult, less difficult to, in terms of identifying international recruits than it, than it ever has been before? And, and kind of what's that – interaction like with with somebody who's maybe eight time zones away can it be difficult to kind of connect and, and kind of make sure that you built those relationships because obviously in state you you have an opportunity to probably i would imagine build relationships a little bit easier yeah the connection is different uh, no question it's a lot more difficult uh i i have found that uh, that recruiting overseas is actually easier now because 
there are recruiting services that are doing some of your homework for you. Uh, back, you know, even just five, six years ago, there weren't nearly as many. You know, we were ahead of the curve. We were recruiting internationally. I was at Gonzaga extensively. Uh, but now everybody does. You know, and there was a day when, you know, these international players, let's just say a, a, somebody from Europe, you know, they wouldn't know the difference between Gonzaga and UConn. You know, they, they, they were all the same. Uh, they wouldn't know the difference between UC Irvine and, uh, you know, in Notre Dame. Well, now they're a lot more sophisticated, and, and the recruiting is, you know, because it's gone worldwide, they're, they're a little bit more uh, conscious of, of the better programs over here. Uh, so that has changed. Um, you know, you have to work harder now to get those players. Um, agents have gotten involved with, with some of the high schools. I, I, not agents in terms of, you know, the like we see agents, but people who are handlers, so to speak, uh, sure. that you don't get quite as much over here. So, um, you know, it's, it's a little more sophisticated. And yes, it is a little bit more difficult, you know, to communicate with them because when you think, oh, I should call so-and-so, and you go, oh, man, it's 5 in the morning there. <laughs> you, you know, you just kind of forget. And I've, we've had a ton of Aussies, and I still can't figure that out. I have no clue when. Since it's a different day, I, I can't get that down. As many Aussies as I've had over the years, I still can't figure out what time it is there and what day. So I know I've called recruits at, you know, 2 in the morning and it's <laughs> like just by accident. And then they call me at weird hours. But you take the phone call because, you know, Especially when they're young, you can't, you you know, you have to take it whenever you get it. Coach, you, you have six players on this year's roster with international uh, flavor to, the, to their games. Um, you've also got three other girls on, on this roster that have played for our own country's national team. I'm, I'm just curious, saw, you said Sato earlier is going to be gone for, for three games playing for her national team. How do you handle these players – wanting to represent for their country's national team in terms of a, just going out and doing that. And then B the workload that comes with that and the travel that comes with going overseas to play, you know, with their national team for a little bit and then coming back, how do you manage all of the, the polls from a national team perspective that your athletes are, are dealing with? Well, it can be difficult. Um, and you know, but the one thing I've made a commitment to, and I think that's why we've been able to get some of the best international players in the country is we always let them know that their national team will come first. And, uh, and when I say that, it's during the summers and, and the springs and when they can get there. During our season, uh, it doesn't come first, and they, they understand that. But I always support them in, in you know, spending their summers with their, senior, or with their national teams. A lot of, not every coach does that over here wow. you know a lot of them you know refuse to let their their players go and and this Satu situation where she'll miss our first three games you know is not ideal for for anyone except for germany but you know it's a, a commitment we had said no last year uh you know this time of year because we just didn't have the numbers well now we feel like we've, we've got a little bit more depth and we can afford uh you know to lose her for for a week but, you know, she's, uh, that's a great honor for her. She's on their senior national team, and they're trying to qualify uh, for the European championships that could then lead to a potential Olympic bid. So I just thought, you know what, Let, let's do it. Um, and that's just the way we've always proceeded. I, I think it's a great honor. I, I coached USA for two years to two gold medals. So I understand, you know, what it's like to, uh, to coach or play for your, for your country. And, and so I, I just don't want to ever deny them that opportunity. And that will continue to be the case for us. And I think these programs who don't allow their players to go over, I think that comes back to bite you, ultimately, when there's a player that you really want who's on their national team level, um, and, and they know who, who will allow their players to go over. This Letting Satu go now, I think, goes a long way at getting perhaps the next great player from Europe. You mentioned Satu not being here for the first three games. That's obviously going to impact your front court depth. I think in general, you can correct me if I'm wrong, it's maybe the area where there's the biggest question mark just in general, even when she does return because of Niara's yeah. injury. And, and then Sedona, you know, being kind of in limbo still. What, what What's the process there? Kind of like with, with, with Sedona, it's tough because you just don't know right now, but... 
kind of how are you shuffling through that and, and you feel pretty good about the pieces you have in place to kind of make make best of that situation well you know sad to not having her here uh, for those three games i think really hurts us i mean she's obviously one of the best players in the country and uh, and a matchup headache for anybody we play uh especially you know the, these aren't power five teams that we're playing this week and so you know, to have a six-four guard, uh, you know, that's going to be really difficult for those those schools to defend. So without without her, yeah, we go smaller. I mean, right now I'm probably going to go with Taylor Chavez at the uh, you know at Satu spot. So uh, you know, we become a lot smaller when you have Mignon Moore and Taylor Chavez in in your starting lineup. That's not that big, you know. And Aaron Bowley's only maybe six-one at the four, and then you've got Ruthie in the middle. So. Uh, yeah, we become a different team. I, I, we're still very capable. There's no question, but uh, sure. yeah, it, 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 it's going to be tough. But it's also an opportunity for a Holly Winterburn to, to step up and get more meaningful minutes, uh, which she's certainly capable of doing. We're put, playing Sabrina a little bit at the four spot, you know, just for those times that uh, that we might need to, to to go small. And she's such a smart player; she can play anywhere on the floor. So we might put her there. We've we've practiced with that a little bit. Uh, but Lydia Giomi has been playing really well. I think Lucy Cochran, as a, as a freshman, can give us some quality minutes. So we'll be able to cover her time. We're just, you know, obviously without one of the best players in the country, we're not going to be the same. But, uh, but, uh, but we'll, we'll, somebody will step up and, and, uh, and surprise us and play well. Coach, we, rightfully so and deservedly so, Sabrina and, and Ruthie and Satu really kind of dominate the headlines uh, with this team. Um, I'm just curious from the coaching perspective of what outside of those three are you excited to see play out? It, it could be a it could be a concern of yours, or it could be this person's playing really well and they're going to have an opportunity, you know, to really show out. Is there something that's not centered on those your your big three that that's really just exciting for you that you're, you're excited to see play out because you just don't know how how it's going to go? Well, yeah, and I think what our biggest strength as a coaching staff is I think we know how to build a team it all works together I mean you know when you have a talent say just like Ruthie inside uh you, you know by having a player like Aaron Bowley on the perimeter she allows Ruthie more space to do her thing and play one-on-one if a team helps down uh, on Ruthie then we've got all these snipers on the perimeter that that make teams pay three points at a time uh, to make that decision. So Aaron Bowley, just by having her on the court, I think it helps everybody. It gives Sabrina more room to, to be creative and operate off the dribble. Uh, it allows, uh, same with, you know, Mignon. It allows Satu to, you know, to, to, to post up and do her thing. So when you, when you have the pieces around them, the correct pieces, and that's what we have, I think, you know, everybody is better because of it. So Aaron Bowley is a, a huge part of what we do. Uh, even on those nights when she doesn't get many shots, she's at least drawing, uh, ha- having uh, drawing attention and having a defender on her, and it spaces the floor. Uh, I think uh, Taylor Chavez is that that way as well. Uh, those guys are really, really important to us. Um, you know, Lydia Jomi gives us something different than Ruthie. Ruthie plays that power game inside. Lydia's gonna just try and beat you up and down the court because she's so athletic. Um, you know, so everybody kind of has a, a, a different strength. Lucy, uh, as an inside player, can step out and, and knock down a 17-footer. So she's different than, than Lydia. She's different than Ruthie. She has a different skill set. And I think the more different things that you can put together on a team, the better the team is. I just see so many programs, they get the same player. Same kind of player with the same skill set over and over and over just because that player was ranked in the top 20 or right. whatever. Rankings don't mean anything to me. I want I want to be able to, to do a little bit of everything uh, throughout a game. And, and that is the fun part to me is having a bunch of players with different skill sets. Fellas, I don't know what the question was. I don't even know. <laughs> you answered answer it. That. But I got off on that, uh, that little tangent. And that's what I, I love about our team. And we've got a lot of different – we haven't even talked about Jazz Shelley. That kid can play, man. She is a competitive, tough, uh, smart point guard. Uh, and right now she's in a battle for that, that starting spot with, uh, with Mignon Moore, who has given us something that we have never had since I've been here, an elite-level, defensive, quick point guard. Maite was elite, there's no question, but she wasn't that quick. 
She was a good defender, very smart player, could knock down baskets. Mignon is, my goodness, she is a bulldog. And uh, she's going to put pressure every transition on that defense. They better get back or she's getting to the rim. Yeah, I, I've, I don't get to watch a lot of the, the Oregon Athletics games with, with my boys, but the women's team kind of, the, kind of turned into the games that I, I take them to as just a father-son thing. Like I can tell you, mm-hmm. just watching the USC games, it, that's she's the one that seems to always maybe have given you guys fits uh, it, it, with her speed in conference play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, she has, and you know, you know which way she's going, but it's still hard to stop her, you know. And I'll tell you what, I've been so impressed with her as a teammate. You know, they kind of had a rough edge about them at USC, but you get her actually part of your team. My goodness. First of all, she's a great student. She graduated from USC in three years. That's an awesome school. That's not. That's no easy task. I think number two, she is a great talker. Boy, she is always talking on the court, and uh, and we don't have enough of those. So she's, I think, really helped there. Thinks defense first, which is great. We just don't have a lot of players that do that. Um, and she's she's just made us better. But is a great teammate. She is uh, gentle when she needs to be. She's tough when she needs to be. And uh, and like I said, she she would do anything for anybody. That that was an amazing pickup, and uh, glad she's here. Coach, last question here, and, and you mentioned yeah. how we hadn't talked much about Jazz, so let's let's spend a second talking about her. Uh, what 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 an incredible benefit it seems like. You mentioned having to go against Mignon more in practice, and her defensive just kind of hounding her when she's handling the ball, learning from Sabrina, just having those two senior guards and and, and other players. I, we don't want to. I shouldn't pass up on, on Taylor and what she's capable of doing in practice either. But what kind of a benefit is it for a young guard like Jazz, who's, like you said, got really high ceiling, to just be able to spend a year working with some of these top, top talents? Well, she, it, it, it's going to help her because for a couple of reasons. Number one, she doesn't have to be thrown right into the fire. You know, a, a number one ranked team with the pressure that, you know, that comes with that, uh, the attention. They were joking the other day that during our green and yellow scrimmage, that was the most fan they'd ever played in front of. <laughs> well, that's going to change pretty quick, you know, because there's going to be a heck of a lot more fans, uh, you know, in the games coming up. So, you know, sometimes that's tough for a freshman to come right in at the le- and play and expect to, be, to play at the level of a Sabrina and a Aaron Bowley and a Satu and a Ruthie that have been part of this for, for a couple of years. Uh, we would have been fine. With, with that, she's going to adapt. She's used to playing at a high level, but you know it, it, it's different. You know, and international rules are, are just a little, and the international game is just a little bit different than the American game. So there is some adjustment. Remember Satu in her first year here, her first few games, she was caught called for traveling about every you know other time she touched the ball. It was just different. She got called for a lot of fouls because it's different. They call it closer over here. So um, yeah, so having Mignon as a you know, it's kind of a, um, a mentor, so to speak, is helping Jazz kind of adjust now to, to our game a little bit. But, uh, but I expect Jazz to, to have a huge role um, in, in what we do. And like I said, if we had not gotten Mignon, she would have been probably that, that, that starting point guard for us, and we would have been just fine. Remember when Maite came over as a true freshman and had to start for us for four years, you know, she didn't have a ton around her, but, but she – she got better, and um, you know, and I, I anticipate Jazz will have that same kind of uh, that curve, that curve upward. So, and you guys, Holly Winterburn, I, we didn't talk a ton about her. I, I love her game. I think she's got a chance to be something special. She plays hard. She defends. She can shoot it. She she's our best cutter, best mover without the ball that we have, and um, I think she's she's got a real chance. Well, thank you so much for your time, Coach. I'm really excited to see some very high-caliber basketball played on Saturday against the women's national team. That's at 4 p.m. And then every game this season, obviously, opening with Northeastern on Monday. Uh, thank you so much for your time again. Thanks, Coach. Hey, my pleasure, fellas. We'll do it again. All right. All right. We will. Thanks again to uh, Oregon women's head basketball coach Kelly Grays for coming on the show. Uh, I think that was a very, very good podcast. I'm a little biased, but I, I think that was awesome. Getting the head coach of the number one ranked basketball team in the country for women's basketball on the show is always fun, always good. And certainly uh, a lot of interesting things 
from Kelly in, in that interview. I, I you mentioned uh, the redshirting topic when we when we finished that interview. Um, for me, Sabrina Unescu at the four. Uh, you know, Kelly's yeah. play some scheming. I mean, that, that, you know, maybe Tressler doesn't. I don't know, just interesting move there. Uh, certainly could could present a you know kind of like a Golden State Warrior esque type of flow of the game or a Houston Rockets type flow of the game where they go four or five guards and just you know run 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 run. Yeah, and he 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 said back in gosh it was a couple, maybe a month ago at right right around there when they started practicing that he thought they had the guard depth and because of some of the issues up I don't want to say issues because they're still very talented up front because they have depth up front issues with. Again, with Niera not being able to play this year and, and Sedona potentially not being available this year, that they would maybe go four guards. But it'll be interesting to see that on the court uh, next week, you know, with, with Satsu gone. And I, I think that I think they're going to be fine next week, but it does get overlooked when you're talking about, like you said in the intro of the podcast, the eighth best player in the country not being available for these first three games for Oregon, uh, you know, Satsu playing with Team Germany. That's going to provide, I think, great opportunities for some of these younger players, but it's it's also going to just, I think, be really kind of fun to see that whole thing develop and see how they would on the fly kind of handle that. And uh, I'll be curious to see kind of the way the rotations look. And obviously it'll be fun when they're back at full strength, when they, when they go to Syracuse the following week. A lot of intrigue with this team. Um, get, make sure to follow Eric Scopel, uh, all his work. He's going to be the beat writer for duckterritory.com. Uh, for the women's sports, uh, for women's basketball this year. And he did it last year. And uh, we've decided because of our readership numbers last season to increase uh, our coverage of this team even more. So Eric's going to have a ton of stuff and uh, on, on the site, uh, on his Twitter account, uh, covering this team. It's going to be an exciting year. And I, I guess, Eric, real quick before we, we get out of here, because yeah. uh, it, it is a long podcast, but – I'm just curious from from the person that covers this team. You know the team better than I do. Uh, what is the in- intrigue going into the 2019-20 season for you? Is it as simple as they're the number one team in the country and can they win it all? Yeah, I think that's where you start. Um, uh, because obviously, I mean, what what an incredible honor it is to be the number one ranked team in the country. And, and I know it, it doesn't mean a ton because you still have to win the games, but like to, to go into a season being the favorite certainly changes things. And it's certainly notable. And, and it speaks again to the, the way this program has, has kind of changed and elevated itself, uh, you know, in the last five years with, with coach Graves uh, leading the, leading the charge. Um, I, I'm also curious to see some of these supplementary parts. Uh, I, I think, you know, you bring back four starters, you, you know what you've got there. Those are, veteran, talented players that are, I think, obviously, you look at UNESCO, Hebert, and Savali, and those are three players that are going to go in the first round of either this year's WNBA draft or, or in Satsu's case, possibly the next year, depending on when she decides to go. Uh, and Aaron Bowley, I'm sure, has a professional future as well with how well she shoots the basketball. But it's going to be, it's, it's interesting to me with uh, just that guard depth and, and how that plays into it. Seeing some of these young players emerge, I think that's going to be really interesting, especially maybe that's the thing I'm most interested in this first week is w- w- how do we see, you know, Jazz Shelley and Holly Winterburn, who players he raves about, Taylor Chavez, who it sounds like will most likely start, how will she handle that role? Um, there's just there's just some interesting things there. And, and then if you look deep down the line here with, with all these recruits they're bringing in, which whose names, you know, Coach Graves couldn't talk about on the podcast, um, you know, at least for another week when, when they officially sign, it's going to be interesting big picture to see how all of these guards can kind of work together, you know, in 2020 and 21 and, and beyond, because they are building an incredible, they're building a program. This is not just a one year thing, obviously, considering what they've done the last couple of years. But I, I expect that this is going to be a, a program that, that doesn't take a massive, massive step back. Obviously, there's going to be probably some regression when you lose a player of Sabrina Ionescu's caliber. But I, I do think it's going to be interesting to see kind of how those guards kind of play this year. And then once the rest of those players join the team next year, what that looks like. I think that's going to be very, very fascinating. Yeah, real quick. I think they've got an, a good opportunity where they can this year can be a season in which they reach the highest levels of the sport. And that's winning a national championship. But at the same time, really kind of create a bridge to get of the gap that's going to be created when. Sabrina's gone. Ruthie's gone. Uh, and if, like you said, Satu leaves and, you know, Mignon Moore is going to be gone as well. 
you know, but they've they've got some pieces, you know, and and Aaron Boley, uh, Taylor Chavez, uh, the other Sabley sister, um, Sedona Prince, uh, and all of their freshmen. That you know, those players are you know are are going to get attention and they're going to get playing time this season. That you know maybe the 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 drop off isn't going to be as steep as it normally would when you lose a player of the caliber of a Sabrina or a Ruthie. And I'm not trying to you know downplay their their talents but right. because, because they're, they're so talented they're going to be able to the reality is win a lot of these you know some of these early season games by a lot and play some, you know some of their younger players a ton of minutes early on to get them ready for what comes down the road yeah no, i think you're going to see uh, much uh, you know the depth of this team is better than it was last year without question last year they were having a hard time you know putting together they couldn't even do it for most of the season in terms of practicing five on five in practice depth this year is much improved and it'll get even better if and there's an update on the site on Sedona Prince if you want to go look at that you won't see her on Saturday she's still rehabbing and working on things she hasn't been cleared by the NCAA yet that's something they're still waiting on as well but if she is clear uh, Graves said uh, on Wednesday uh, you know and we could have I guess followed up today but the information is already out there but that, that she's mid-January would be a really good time for her to be fully healthy and able to compete. So uh, a lot of pieces to consider, and I think a really exciting season on the horizon here. It's going to do it for us here on the Lots and Audibles podcast. Uh, bye week for us for football, uh, but we hopefully brought enough to the table to, to entice you guys to give this women's basketball team a, a look. I highly encourage you to do that. I'm, I'm someone that, look, I, I don't get to watch a lot of the, the men's games or the football games with, with my boys. I take them frequently throughout the season uh, the last few years to women's games. And I was one of those people that was a little skeptical of doing it, of am I really going to be entertained and really enjoy going uh, to these games? And I have been. And to the point where we almost bought season tickets and this season, if, if we just weren't so busy with my job and some other stuff that's going on in our lives, we, we were going to buy season tickets. So, uh, I 100% am on the board of it's. They are fun to watch. They are good players. They play an exciting brand of basketball. And on top of that, they're well coached and they're just good people. So uh, hopefully, you guys enjoyed this this basketball focused podcast on a, on a football bye week. Uh, Eric, any, any last words for you? Or are we good to go? Let's wrap it up there. I think, uh, yeah, keep it, you know, we'll have full coverage of this weekend's exhibition and then full coverage obviously going forward. And then, you know, when, when they are able to announce the signing class, we'll, we'll go into greater detail with all of that. But a really fun time, like you said, I think just to, to be excited about this season and, and kind of the potential of, of, let's say, it, winning a national championship. And that's obviously the ultimate goal. No one is kind of biting the words on that. Everybody, it's pretty clear that's what their goals are. And, and I think they have a great chance to do it. I really do. All right, that's going to do it for us here on the Austin Audible's podcast. For Eric Scopel, myself, Matt Prame, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Adios, amigos.